Chapter 28 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 28. During Albert's absence, the Count and the Canoness had formed innumerable projects for the future welfare of their dear child, among which that of marrying him occupied a prominent place. With his fine person, his illustrious name, and his still considerable fortune, Albert could have aspired to a connection with the noblest families in the kingdom. But in case his indolence and shy, retiring disposition should make him unwilling to bring himself forward and push his fortune in the world, they kept in reserve for him a young person of equally high birth with himself, since she was his cousin Germaine, and bore the same name. She was not so rich, indeed, but was young, handsome, and an only daughter. This young person was Amelia, Baroness of Rudolstadt, your humble servant and new friend. She, said they, when conversing together by the fireside, has as yet seen nobody. Brought up in a convent, she will only be too happy to exchange the cloister for a husband. She cannot hope for a better match, and as to the eccentricities of her cousin, the old associations of their childhood, the ties of relationship, and a few months' intimacy with us will go far to overcome her repugnance to them and bring her round to tolerate, were it only for the sake of family feeling, what might be unendurable to a stranger. They were sure of the consent of my father, who never had any will but that of his elder brother and his sister, Wenceslawa, and who, to say the truth, has never had a will of his own. When, after a fortnight's careful observation of his manners, the constant melancholy and reserve, which appeared to be the confirmed character of my cousin, became evident to them, my uncle and aunt concluded that the last scion of their race was not destined to win renown by great or noble deeds. He displayed no inclination for a bright career in arms, diplomacy, or civil affairs. To every proposal he mildly replied that he should obey the wishes of his relations, but that for his own part he desired neither luxury or glory. After all, this indolent disposition was but an exaggerated copy of his father's, a man of such calm and easy temperament that his imperturbability borders on apathy, and his modesty is a kind of self-denial. What gives to my uncle's character a tone which is wanting in his son's is his strong sense, devoid of pride, of the duties he owes to society. Albert seemed formally to understand domestic duties, but public ones, as they were regarded by others, concerned him no more than in his childhood. His father and mine had followed the career of arms, under Montecuccoli against Turin. They had borne with them into the war a kind of religious enthusiasm, inspired by the example of the emperor. A blind obedience to their superiors was considered the duty of their time. This more enlightened age, however, strips the monarch of his false halo, and the rising generation believed no more in the divine right of the crown than in that of the tiara. When my uncle endeavored to stir up in his son's bosom the flame of ancient chivalric ardor, he soon perceived that his arguments had no meaning for a reasoner who looked on such things with contempt. Since it is thus, my uncle observed to my aunt, 
We will not thwart him. Let us not counteract this melancholy remedy, which has at least restored to us a passionless in place of an impetuous man. Let his life, in accordance with his desire, be tranquil, and he may become studious and philosophic, as were many of his ancestors, an ardent lover of the chase like our brother Frederick, or a just and beneficent master, as we ourselves try to be. Let him lead from henceforward the untroubled and inoffensive life of an old man. He will be the first Rudelstadt whose life shall have known no youth. But as he must not be the last of his race, let us marry him, so that the heirs of our name may fill up this blank in the glory of our house. Who knows but it may be the will of Providence that the generous blood of his ancestors now sleeps in his veins, only to reawaken with a fresh impulse in those of his descendants. So it was decided that they should break the ice on this delicate subject to my cousin Albert. They at first approached it gently, but as they found this proposal quite as unpalatable as all previous ones had been, it became necessary to reason seriously with him. He pleaded bashfulness, timidity, and awkwardness in female society. Certainly, said my aunt, in my young days I would have considered a lover so grave as Albert more repulsive than otherwise, and I would not have exchanged my hump for his conversation. We must then, said my uncle, fall back upon our last resource and persuade him to marry Amelia. He has known her from infancy, looks upon her as a sister, and will be less timid with her, and, as to firmness of character, she unites animation and cheerfulness, she will by her good humor dissipate those gloomy moods into which he so frequently relapses. Albert did not condemn this project, and, without openly saying so, consented to see and become acquainted with me. It was agreed that I should not be informed of the plan in order to save me the mortification of being rejected, which was always possible on his part. They wrote to my father, and as soon as they had secured his consent, they took steps to obtain the dispensation from the Pope which our consanguinity rendered necessary. At the same time, my father took me from the convent, and one fine morning we arrived at the castle of the giants. I very well pleased to breathe the fresh air, and impatient to see my betrothed, my good father, full of hope, and fancying that he had ingeniously concealed from me a project which he had unconsciously betrayed in every sentence he uttered in the course of the journey. The first thing which struck me in Albert was his fine figure and noble air. I confess, dear Nina, that my heart beat almost audibly when he kissed my hand, and that for some days I was charmed by his look and delighted by the most trifling word that fell from his lips. His serious, thoughtful manner was not displeasing to me. He seemed to feel no constraint in my society. On the contrary, he was unreserved as in the days of our childhood, and when, from a dread of failing in politeness, he wished to restrain his attention, our parents urged him to continue his ancient familiarity with me. My cheerfulness sometimes caused him to smile involuntarily, and my good aunt, transported with joy, attributed to me the honor of this improvement, which she believed would be permanent. At length he came to treat me with the mildness and gentleness one displays toward a child, and I was content, satisfied that he would shortly pay more attention to my little animated countenance, 
and to the handsome dresses by which I studied to please him. But I had soon the mortification to discover that he cared little for the one, and that he did not even appear to see the other. One day my good aunt wished to direct his attention to a beautiful blue dress which suited my figure admirably. Would you believe it? He declared its color to be a bright red. His tutor, the abbe, who had honeyed compliments ever ready on his lips, and who wished to give his pupil a lesson in gallantry, insinuated that he could easily guess why Count Albert could not distinguish the color of my dress. Here was a capital opportunity for Albert to address to me some flattering remarks on the roses of my cheeks or the golden hue of my hair. He contented himself, however, with dryly telling the abbe that he was as capable of distinguishing colors as he was, and with repeating his assertion that my robe was as red as blood. I do not know why this rudeness of manner and eccentricity of expression made me shudder. I looked at Albert, and his glance terrified me. From that day I began to fear him more than I loved him. In a short time I ceased to love him at all, and now I neither love nor fear him. I merely pity him. You will by degrees understand why. The next day we were to go to Toss, the nearest village, to make some purchases. I had promised myself much pleasure from this excursion as Albert was to accompany me on horseback. When ready to set out, I, of course, expected that he would offer me his arm. The carriages were in the court, but he did not make his appearance, although his servant said that he had knocked at his door at the usual hour. They sent again to see if he were getting ready. Albert always dressed by himself and never permitted a servant to enter his chamber until he had quitted it. They knocked in vain. There was no reply. His father, becoming uneasy at this continued silence, went himself to the room, but he could neither open the door, which was bolted inside, nor obtain a reply to his questions. They began to be frightened when the abbe observed in his usual placid manner that Count Albert was subject to long fits of sleep, which might almost be termed trances, and if suddenly awakened he was agitated and apparently suffered for many days, as if from a shock. But that is a disease, said the canonist anxiously. I do not think so, said the abbe. He has never complained of anything. The physicians whom I brought to see him when he lay in this state found no feverish symptoms, and attributed his condition to excess of application or study, and they earnestly advised that this apparently necessary repose and entire forgetfulness should not be counteracted by any mode of treatment. And is it frequent? asked my uncle. I have observed it only five or six times during eight years, and not having annoyed him by my attentions, I have never found any unpleasant consequences. And does it last long? I demanded in my turn, very impatiently. Longer or shorter, according to the want of rest which precedes or occasions these attacks, but no one can know, for the Count either does not himself recollect the cause, or does not wish to tell it. He is extremely studious, and conceals it with unusual modesty. He is very learned, then, I replied. Extremely learned. And he never displays it? He makes a secret of it, nay, does not himself suspect it. Of what use is it, in that case? Genius is like beauty, replied this Jesuit courtier, casting a soft look upon me, 
Both are favors of heaven, which occasion neither pride nor agitation to those who enjoy them. I understood the lesson and only felt the more annoyed, as you may suppose. They resolved to defer the drive until my cousin should awake, but when at the end of two hours I saw that he did not stir, I laid aside my rich riding dress and commenced to my embroidery, not without spoiling a good deal of silk and missing many stitches. I was indignant at the neglect of Albert, who over his books in the evening had forgotten his promised ride with me, and who now left me to wait, in no very pleasant humor, while he quietly enjoyed his sleep. The day wore on, and we were obliged to give up our proposed excursion. My father, confiding in the assurance of the abbe, took his gun and strolled out to kill a few hares. My aunt, who had less faith in the good man's opinion, went upstairs more than twenty times to listen at her nephew's door, but without being able to hear the faintest breathing. The poor woman was in an agony of distress. As for my uncle, he took a book of devotion to try its effect in calming his inquietude, and began to read in a corner of the saloon with a resignation so provoking that it half tempted me to leap out of the window with chagrin. At length, toward evening, my aunt, overjoyed, came to inform us that she had heard Albert rise and dress himself. The abbe advised us to appear neither surprised nor uneasy, not to ask the Count any questions, and to endeavor to divert his mind and his thoughts if he evinced any signs of mortification at what had occurred. But if my cousin be not ill, he is mad, exclaimed I, with some degree of irritation. I observed my uncle change countenance at this harsh expression, and I was struck with sudden remorse. But when Albert entered without apologizing to anyone, and without even appearing to be aware of our disappointment, I confess I was excessively piqued and gave him a very cold reception, of which, however, absorbed as he was in thought, he took not the slightest notice. In the evening my father fancied that a little music would raise his spirits. I had not yet sung before Albert, as my harp had only arrived the preceding evening. I must not, accomplished Porporina, boast of my musical acquirements before you, but you will admit that I have a good voice and do not want natural taste. I allowed them to press me, for I had at the moment more inclination to cry than to sing. But Albert offered not a word to draw me out. At last I yielded, but I sang badly, and Albert, as if I had tortured his ears, had the rudeness to leave the room after I had gone through a few bars. I was compelled to summon all my pride to my assistance to prevent me from bursting into tears, and to enable me to finish the air without breaking the strings of my harp. My aunt followed her nephew, my father was asleep, my uncle waited near the door till his sister should return to tell him something of his son. The abbé alone remained to pay me compliments, which irritated me yet more than the indifference of the others. It seems, said I to him, that my cousin does not like music. On the contrary, he likes it very much, replied he, but it is according, according to the manner in which one performs, said I, interrupting him. Yes, replied he, in no wise disconcerted, and to the state of his mind. Sometimes music does him good, sometimes harm. You have, I am certain, agitated him so much that he feared he should not be able to restrain his emotion. 
This retreat is more flattering to you than the most elaborate praise. The compliments of this Jesuit had in them something so sinister and sarcastic that it made me detest him, but I was soon freed from his annoyance, as you shall presently learn. End of chapter 28 Read by Bryce Cries, Youngstown, November 4, 2021.